Welcome to the Taiwanese Diaspora Podcast, where we use personal storytelling to connect people of Taiwanese heritage from all around the world. I am Cynthia, and I'm excited to use this podcast platform as a way to explore what it means to be Taiwanese X. I wanted to share this podcast panel that I was part of earlier this week. Um, it was hosted by the Asian Women for Health, where they've invited a couple Asian female podcasters in, from the Boston area to come just talk about podcasting. So hope it's it, helpful to anybody who is looking to start a podcast. Um, and I would say apologies for the sound quality on my end. I didn't have the USB mic that I typically use um, to record because I am currently traveling. In any case, I hope it's still useful and hope you enjoy. 大家好，欢迎收听台湾人网络广播，我是阿秀，用这个平台来跟华侨华裔的台湾人聊他们的生活过程和未来的梦想。我今天想跟大家分享的是，我前几天在报社顿的亚裔女性健康联盟会办的一
So welcome, Audrey Pick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Fong. Thank you so much um, to Fong and, and Chan from Asian Women for Health for organizing today's Lunch and Learn. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, I am Audrey, and um, I host Asian Women for Health's podcast from Resilience to Radiance. It's a monthly podcast that explores health issues impacting our community while amplifying Asian women's voices on their path to health and healing. So today, um, you're in for a real treat. I'm delighted to facilitate a conversation with uh, a couple of dynamic fellow podcasters, Fei Wu of Fei's World Media and Cynthia Lin of Taiwanese Diaspora. Uh, regrettably, Mabel Chan of One in a Billion Podcast could not join us today um, as originally planned. She had an unexpected family emergency, so we're keeping her in our thoughts, and we still invite you to check out Mabel's amazing multimedia story platform and nonprofit One in a Billion Productions, and Chan will make that those links available at the end. So our topic is Making Waves community voices on podcast. And we're so grateful to Faye and Cynthia for providing a platform for our community voices and stories to be shared and heard. Not only are they accessible to us locally, but they are um, their platforms reach a global audience and provide a very unique listening experience. So for those of you, um, you know, who are here, we're, we're sharing some behind the mic scoop, whether you're curious about starting your own podcast, or perhaps you just want to connect with a community of people who share your interests. Uh, this is an opportunity to learn some practical tips and personal insights uh, into podcasting based on our experiences. And uh, just one housekeeping item, uh, Feng Yan Chan will keep an eye out on the chat box. So feel free to leave a nice comment for us. And if you have a specific question, we'll do our best to answer them along the way. Okay, we'll start with um, brief introductions. To start, um, I'll call on our speakers to um, you know, ask them about their passions and also to tell us a bit about their podcast and their target audience. So if we could begin with Faye. Sure. Hey everyone, this is Fei Wu and thank you for pronouncing my name without any challenges because <laughs> that's one thing I have to explain when I started my show in 2014. And so uh, my, uh, just a bit on my background, I actually grew up, I was raised uh, in Beijing, China. I came here when I was 17. So I wasn't exactly born and raised in the US a uh, bit of a cultural shock at the beginning uh, and which kind of made becoming a podcaster a little bit challenging uh, when I started, English being my second language and all that. Uh, so my show back in 2014 and still is today called Phase World Podcast. And the reason why I call my brand collectively as Phase World Media is because now it's uh, more than a podcast. It is a YouTube channel, very, very active on YouTube, uh, also a documentary series on Amazon Prime. And there's some stats here. Feel free to ask me any questions. Um, I may just be a few steps ahead of some of you guys, and I know what it's like uh, at the beginning. So uh, look forward to the questions and, and connecting with everyone. Um, is that good enough, Audrey? <laughs> yeah. What about your personal passions? Oh, personal passions. And, and uh, uh, so passions, I love content creation. It truly is a passion. It suits me really well. Um, my other passions include, uh, I, <laughs> before the pandemic, I love swimming, dancing to Zumba, love <laughs> martial arts. I have a third degree in Taekwondo, um, third degree black belt, and, uh, very lucky to very grateful to be in the position that I'm in today because my mental health and where I was work-wise creatively, it, it was definitely not where I am. It, it took a long journey to find out who I am, what I wanted to do. Um, so if you ever feel frustrated that you've been on your journey for six months to a year and you don't know exactly what you want to do, or how you want to get there yet, don't be frustrated. We're all here with you. We're sisters. Uh, and my audience, uh, I started off the show with unsung heroes and self-made artists, as you can see, probably on the following slide. But right now, uh, I am very much focused on creative entrepreneurs 
and um, helping people not just celebrate their creative freedom, but their financial freedom as well. So I'm a believer that, no, you don't need to sell your blood. This is something that you can do uh, starting with a part-time basis and slowly rolling to a full-time basis. This can be done. If I can do it, so can you. Uh, that's so um, reassuring, and we'll definitely talk more about that <laughs> monetizing podcast later on, and maybe some misconceptions um, around that in, in starting one. Okay, thank you so much, Faye. Cynthia. Hey, everybody. I'm Cynthia Lynn. Um, Audrey and Faye, I'm so excited to be here with you guys because, um, Faye, I think you're a couple of years ahead of me on this journey, and it's something that I've been um, very excited to explore more. Um, I started my podcast, Taiwanese Diaspora, in 2019, so I'm a little bit, so it's about two and a half years in right now, um, and I started it from a place of, similar to, I think what Faye was indicating, I'm not entirely sure, but for me, it was a, an identity exploration um, time, and also, also it, it turned out to be a very um, healing and therapeutic um, environment. I was going through uh, some challenges in my work life and in my personal life. Um, and so created a space where I can hear stories. What I wanted to create was um, a platform where I can hear stories from people of my parents' generation in a language that I grew up in. Um, so this is Mandarin um, from like folks from Taiwan. Uh, and just learn about what it was like growing up in Taiwan, what it was like to immigrate to the US. And over the last couple of years, it's actually evolved um, more to also include uh, Taiwanese people who've moved all over the world or who grew up second generation, third generation. Um, I've personally learned a lot about terms like third culture kid. And so I think there's this, I think this excitement or dearth of material out in the world about um, the Asian X experience, because it's not the same for different culture, Asian cultures, it's not the same for um, people in different countries. And so everyone, I think, has a unique story. Um, but it's also often helpful to hear about um, other people's stories because it can give you some aspirations for opportunities that are open to you or us. Um, and you know, at the time when I was looking for a, a podcast in Taiwanese accented Chinese, couldn't really find anything, um, probably wasn't using the right search terms. And so just bouncing some ideas off of a friend of mine who recently had left the corporate world and he was like, why don't you create one? And so I think there's a lot of uh, I think confluences of different things. So personally, I'm interested in being able to jump off of the corporate train at some point. Um, and for now, this is just what I consider a gift to the community. Um, but really, it's been uh, a great, um, I think, confidence building and uh, you know, therapeutic and, uh, platform for me. Thank you so much. It's, it's wonderful to get insights about your interests and where um, sort of you are along your podcast journey, but what's shaped your view of um, raising the volume on voices within our community as well. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, I'll just take a brief a uh, moment to just share that I am of Korean descent um, and most of my professional career has been in event and meeting planning for nonprofits um, and in the corporate world. Um, but I've been a longstanding volunteer for Asian Women for Health and that's what um, served as a catalyst for me to launch a podcast um, because I emceed the fashion benefit for Asian Women for Health for many years called Celebrations and the survivors of cancer and trauma were the models um, in this fashion show. And I was so moved and so um, just really blown away by what these women um, endure and also overcome in terms of adversity, um, health related and beyond that, that uh, I really felt that it was, um, that there needed to be a, a broader platform to get their stories out. And it's been such a learning experience for me, not only in producing the podcast, but um, just understanding people's range of experiences, emotional sort of um, journey and, and healing. And I do see great benefit and value in um, sharing 
personal stories in a safe space um, within the context of a shared community. I always say, you know, sharing is part of your healing journey. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just here to amplify their stories so that people feel that they can, um, that they're not alone in, the, in their health journeys. Okay, so um, if you could each say a, a bit more about what um, compelled each of you to take that leap um, to launch a podcast, like what impact did you want to have? And you know, was it planned? Was it accidental? Was it perhaps a leap of faith <laughs> like me? But um, yeah, I'd like to know um, the why behind what you do. So Cynthia, we'll start with you this time. Sure. Um, the why behind what I do. I think I alluded to earlier, it's like a, an exploration for me. So I wanted to record and be able to, to, I guess, put it out in the world. And so for me, I wanted to start with, at the time I wanted to start with something niche. I didn't want to, uh, I guess like just for background, I'm trained as an engineer. Um, you know, I, I don't, typically have like a public presence and I was kind of scared of this whole social media space and everyone sharing everything around the world. Um, and I, I do have to acknowledge my friend who sort of gave me the little push um, into this new world. I think it's opened up a new environment and new community of people for me to interact with. And in so doing, I think as part of that, I was like, okay, well, I can, um, you know, what is for me, I guess it was like, what is a podcast? I had started listening to it during, um, during this period of my life. And I'd say uh, it was nice. I think for me, I was feeling lonely, even though I was with other people, but there is this feeling of like something missing and something like needing, needing connection. And so like the podcasts that I was listening to were helpful. And just like, it felt like someone was, you know, oftentimes podcasts will say you know, the voice in your ear and feels really intimate and all this stuff. And so, so like I had a friend who was like with me, um, but not necessarily in the same physical space. And so um, I started this as, I guess, a niche project, figuring it was like a Taiwanese American audience if I do, or Taiwanese, Taiwanese audience. So if it's a bilingual podcast and it, I don't necessarily try to translate everything, because for a while I was struggling with, if I wanted to make a bilingual podcast, how do I, I, I want to make it accessible to first, like the immigrants um, to a country where their native English isn't English. And I also want to make, make it accessible to people like me who grew up in the U.S. Um, who speak both or people who grew up in some other country that only speak the, the, uh, the language of that country. Um, and so figured like a niche audience would make it less intimidating um, as like a plat platform or as a, a place where I'm <laughs> making myself heard um, or making it um, so other people are heard. Uh, and I would say that I had tried a number of different things during this period, which I now refer to as like a self sabbatical um, exploration of many months. And, you know, I had trained and ran a marathon, beat the time that I had wanted. I had um, tried writing, I had gone to therapy, um, still going to therapy, by the way, I want to destigmatize mental health. Um, and I think probably something that was missing for me at the time was growing up, I, I did a lot of things in the creativity space. So like drawing, painting, dancing, um, all these different things, piano, saxophone. Um, but I think at some point during your teens and 20s, you had to like buckle down and focus, I guess. And uh, I mean, I still did a bunch of this stuff, but it kind of was more of a, a hobby. I think I was taught to treat it as a hobby as opposed to like something that could be done professionally um, or something that can be uh, take up a lot of your time um, in the same equivalent as like a work thing. So um, yeah, and because I wasn't working at the time, I had I think I decided to give myself a launch date of right before I went back to work uh, as a way to kind of make myself feel like I was being quote productive during this uh, you know period of of exploration for myself. Um, and also be okay with that. Like if I didn't do it perfectly, this is something I'm actually still struggling with actually is like, I would like it to be what I consider to be my level of perfection before I get it out. But the more creators I meet, the more they're just like, no, just get it out. It's better out than 
than not. And so that's something I'm actually personally working towards. <laughs> I have a lot of podcasts and backlogs that are awaiting editing, even though I probably don't need to put that much effort into editing. Yeah, well, I can certainly relate to that too. I mean, because um, I, I still consider the, from resilience to radiance in the early stages, um, you know, the first year um, I was just researching and learning how to produce one. And, um, and now I'm at a point where it's about promoting and to, you know, beyond sort of the Asian women for health um, circles and communities in greater Boston. Um, but I can relate, there's, you know, there's sort of self-limiting beliefs at times, uh, battle with perfection, that kind of thing. Um, but then I wanna go back to Faye because um, your background uh, has offered you to sort of launch this um, on a different scale. And because you're multi-platform now, um, we'd love to hear about the impact you ultimately want to have with the podcast. For sure. I wanna answer uh, one thing also just piggyback on to what you guys just shared. Uh, since I have close to 300 episodes uh, on my podcast, which you can you know, listen, some you can watch as live stream on Anchor everywhere else. I agree. So I have this track record for you to see that the beginning episodes, even the first 100 episodes, you can tell, yes, I was more nervous. I was probably a little bit more scripted. I don't know. And I sounded very different, but at the same time, you see the show notes, everything is kind of crafted. You can see that I kind of put my heart and soul into it. These days, it's not that I don't care. I care a lot less. It's more about going live, literally going live um, during the show. And, you know, I just basically strip the live stream show from YouTube and then, um, you know, basically quickly balance the sound, slap on an intro and outro, I'm done. So that's kind of how I treat it. And in addition hey, that's to that, amazing. <laughs> I know. something to aspire to, <laughs> you know, that's it. And frankly, if I were to have a large production team, if I, you know, millions of subscribers, I, you know, I may hear some listeners feedback to, to do things differently. But for right now, for most of us, we don't have to. Yeah, definitely. You got to hit publish, um, right? Not just hit record, but actually hit publish. Um, that's very liberating. So <laughs> um, to address Audrey's question, being a multi-platform is a really interesting place to be uh, because originally why I started on uh, being a podcaster and audio only is because I wasn't comfortable on camera. I know most people aren't, but uh, I certainly just, I wasn't feeling it. I, especially in 2014, knowing that other already YouTubers were getting, uh, you know, their YouTubers are blowing up and as a video platform was very trivial. Um, but at the same time, being a woman, being the Asian woman, you're thinking, oh my goodness, like how many crazy comments are going to come in? Like, how will my family think about this? Like, how will this impact my personal lives? You, you be very surprised that there are very few crazy people, uh, surprising online, especially if your content is focused on, uh, you know, knowledge sharing, how to, that type of stuff. People are not coming after you. Uh, that's something I learned. But being another benefit of being on multi-platform is this you learn so much more. Uh, transitioning from audio to video was a bit of a learning curve. Um, I luckily had the experience in between to produce a documentary film on Amazon Prime. Still, I wasn't comfortable because for the film, I had a team, had a crew, color grading, all of these things. For me to sit in front of a camera by myself is a whole other game, which I'm teaching a lot of my clients to do the same. Very experienced author speakers, they struggle with that as well. Um, so you learn a ton of skills. But you also notice the platform, the, the platform that works best for you. You know that where you want to generate your original signals from. For me, I strongly believed in podcasting and it still is a great choice for a lot of people. But frankly, it was it's not necessarily the best for me. I think the answer to a lot of these things are podcasts and or YouTube and these days you see a lot of podcasters who are also on YouTube and a lot of very popular YouTubers who want to have their own podcasts. Right. So I will. And I, I suppose there's um, complexities to that in cross promotion, but also it's it's it helps get the word out very quickly to a broader audience, right? So yeah, something to aspire to for sure. Um, oh, uh, there was I'm um, just looking at the chat. Chinchi asked um, Cynthia about explaining what a third culture kid is. Um, sure, I'm not going to probably do it justice, but so um, I'll just back up and say that my interview is uh, interview based, at least right now. Um, I think part of this goes to 
um, some of the the fear of being, uh, I guess, like on camera, so I'm behind the mic, but even then I'm dealing with how I want to show, like what parts of myself do I want to share publicly. Um, anyway, so uh, the third culture kid, um, as explained to me, is could be somebody who has, say, you know, has Taiwanese heritage, but born in the U.S., but then like moved to um, Europe. And so they're kind of adopting a number of different um, cultures, languages, practices uh, throughout their childhood. They've got like the home influence, the um, in influence of where they were schooled, and then like the influence of, you know, either blending it or having this like additional, um, additional place to try to, you know, either fit in or carve out a niche for yourself. Okay, thank, thanks for the clarification and thank you Chenchi for the question. So um, I know a lot of people have some practical sort of nuts and bolts questions. I, I think um, what is often asked is about the production, like the tools, you know, just to get a, a podcast started. Of course, YouTube has a lot. Oh my gosh, you know, I invite you all to check out Faye's YouTube channel because she offers step-by-step um, -step tutorials everything you need to know to start a podcast and beyond and, and, and be, have a presence on YouTube as well. But, um, you know, how do you go about choosing platforms and how do you get started on the production side? That's probably a logical question for people who want to start. Either one of you can jump in. <laughs> Maybe I'll start with the budget side, <laughs> budget podcasting, um, and then they can flush uh, additional. Um, so I started off, um, so I, I guess I push it onto the platforms via Anchor, and that's a free um, anchor.fm. It goes to Spotify, Overcast, Apple, et cetera. Um, I would say from the equipment side, I first started off with just my laptop and a Blue Yeti mic. Um, I think over time I've decided Blue Yeti isn't, it's good for something, but not great for, it, it's, you know, it's great, great to have in the toolkit. Um, but I've also recently um, upped my kit and um, have something that's a little bit more mobile. Um, so I have like a mic with an XLR cable that connects to a Zoom um, H5. And so that'll be able to allow me to record separate tracks. Um, I had tried to figure out through a meandering of different wiring how to record off of my phone. Um, I'm sure I'm not doing it the most efficient way. And I'd say that, um, you know, there are podcasts I've listened to where they literally just talk into a mic onto their phone and they just record off of their phone. So I don't think you need anything complicated. Um, I think I hemmed and hawed over equipment and platforms for a couple months before I just settled on those. Um, I don't pay for like hosting through like, I, don't, I think it's like Blueberry or Libsyn or all that stuff. Um, I think they probably give better statistics um, and like data. Uh, but I think for, for where I am right now, um, those are the things I use. Yes. Hey. Yeah, I uh, I was going to give away also some uh, tips when it comes to analytics. That is one frustrating part, uh, mm -hmm. Cynthia called out. There is something called Chartable. I'm just dropping a couple of links as Cynthia is sure, going thank through you. this. No problem. So Chartable uh, can actually basically aggregate stats from Spotify, Apple, all these places and into one so you can look at it. It's a little bit more sophisticated. I agree. Earlier on, I used to pay Lipson, I think was was started at $5 and it was $20 and it was $40. Uh, they charge you based on how many episodes and the size of the files that you upload. It's it's a pretty straightforward math, but as of a year, year and a half ago, I'm with Cynthia, I switch over to Anchor. So you may hear from certain people to say, oh, Anchor is this new platform. It's not stable. It might go away. It's not going away because Spotify purchased them. So they are, they're backed by billions of dollars. Um, and in terms of production, at the beginning in 2014, there were not a lot of tutorials, um, not, not much I could really, you know, I couldn't, I, I went to YouTube, uh, of course, and I saw uh, tutorials um, by certain people, Pat Flynn being one of them. So I just kind of followed along. And um, I had a microphone that is still today, Audio-Technica uh, ATR2100. It's a USB mic but uh, you could also use um, DSLR, uh, plug into an uh, audio interface. It gets complicated, but you need a solid, I think it's great to have a, have a microphone. Mine cost um, $90, 
right? You can use it for a long time. You can travel with it if you want to. Um, then years later, I upgraded to this one. This is a, a Newman. It is a Newman microphone. Uh, I hope I sound pretty intimate because as this goes into a audio interface, again, you don't need any of this. Um, in terms of production costs and editing, I'll comment really briefly because most people think it costs thousands of dollars every month. It's not true. For you to have a virtual assistant and an editor or the person, the same person can do both, so you can get it down to about five to $600 a month with about four episodes, including marketing, all these things. So it's actually in reality, a lot more affordable. When I started editing my episodes, because I'm a very DIY person, I used Audacity, right? Yeah, it's called Audacity. Yeah, that's what I use now too. Right, it's free. It's really user-friendly for beginners. If you're a Mac user, you can use GarageBand. There's a, just a slight learning curve. It is a different platform. Um, so the, the, it, there's, it's awesome to learn these skills on your own. I did courses and all that. But at some point, if you're a content creator, you have to decide that, is this the best time, best way to spend my time? Because editing takes time, especially based on how you edit. So luckily for me, I think it wasn't soon enough. I think a year to a year and a half later after I started my show, it should have been three months, I think. Um, I hired someone, the person left, and I actually felt like I felt heartbroken because at that point I didn't know what to do, didn't have a backlog. Then I went on Upwork.com. This, this is not sponsored by them in, in any way. Went on to Upwork, found my soulmate, found my editor, found my same person who has supported me since 2016. So you make new friends, you learn new skills and know at some point, uh, in conclusion, your time is better spent elsewhere. And two, by hiring someone, that person will do likely do a better job and teach you something new. So. They, can I ask a question, Audrey? Of course, of course. Um, they, did that coincide when you decided to hire an outsource? Did that coincide with when you left uh, your corporate job and decided to take this on full time? Oh, uh, actually, uh, th that's a really interesting question. I have to like quickly reflect on the timeline. Um, I left, I haven't even said anything about my corporate job. Yes, I worked in digital <laughs> marketing, business consulting. I feel so removed from the corporate world because I started <laughs> Face World in January, 2016. I hired my first editor in 2015. Uh, and the person was super kind, was learning with me basically. Um, but when I, you're right, Cynthia, at some point I'm thinking I can see my business take off. Therefore it makes even less sense for me to, to do this on my own. And also being a full-time creative entrepreneur taught me something in 2016 is all of a sudden I realized time is the, the only limiting factor that I can always make more money, but I'll never get the time back. And, you know, so I hired uh, my longtime editor, I think in April, 2016, uh, never looked back. It is, it is phenomenal. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, 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 I always, it's fantastic. I, I always love um, to sort of give, like let the experts do their thing um, as, you know, as a content cre creator or producer. I mean, I am fortunate to have uh, a business content and friend who does the editing um, for us and for our podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, my wish list is to get a, a really awesome mic, Faye. So I didn't, you spewed off like the, the mic labels, like, I don't know, sports cars. Oh, <laughs> I know, I will, I'm I gonna drop a link. Pace. You might have to like drop that into the chat box. Will do right now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, in this day and age, I mean, so much information is accessible on YouTube. You can do your own research, but you know, hear from us that you know there there are options out there um, that are affordable um, for each person. And um, yeah, you know, as long as you put on the mindset of being a lifelong learner, and then also prioritize sort of what you're good at, and then you know, it's good to be aware of other technical things, but. I always say, leave it, leave it to the experts. You know, it may be their passion, right? So, all right, well then let's move on to what makes a good story and how do you go about choosing like your topics and speakers? Okay. Yeah, that's such a great question and it changes over time. Uh, I think to tell a story, my mom has this saying, if something moved you, it might move someone else. Right. Uh, that's why the same way we recommend movies, even though for for us coming, if you still work in corporate where the way that you grew up has very little 
uh, to do with, let's just say, storytelling, you don't, you might not know the structure of a good story. You know, we learn in school the beginning, middle, and end, but we've read a lot of boring stories that follow that structure. And so I think when it comes to podcasting, the storytelling uh, for podcasting is a little different. You want to tease out something uh, for your audience, especially if you have your interview show or longer show. Anything longer than 15 minutes is a pretty long show, actually. And I know yeah. most of my interviews are 45 minutes to an hour. You want to give people an idea of why they should listen. And a couple of things I learned from a variety of show hosts, including Tim Ferriss, but also I love Krista Tibbet from On Being. Uh, instead of just doing ad breaks, they actually break up uh, this, you know, 45 minute episodes into five to 10 minute segment. And where in the middle, Chris will say something like, well, today you're listening to so-and-so BJ Miller. Uh, and, um, and this is why we're here and back to the show. So if people leave or people kind of fast forward, they still know what's going on. Uh, for me to find interesting guests, at the beginning when I worked in corporate, I just talked to people I really admired and found interesting. And interestingly enough, a lot of them are not necessarily the senior VPs, the good looking guys, or <laughs> now those are people, you gotta be honest with yourself. This is your opportunity to talk to really interesting people, not what other people tell you uh, that people are interesting. Um, so, mm -hmm. and then quickly from there, I wanna answer a question that hasn't been asked. How many famous people do, should you put on your show? So if you look at my show on the front page, you do see Seth Godin, Chris Voss, you know, BJ Miller, I know Krista Tibbet, you do, you do see some of these folks. I feel like for me, about a year into my show, I wanted some social proof to get folks like that on the front page like everybody else. But in reality, I'll say this, that most of these folks are not gonna share your episodes. They're not gonna post on their social media or put on their email list that has 85,000 people on it, unfortunately. So uh, don't overlook or underestimate the power of unsung heroes. They're the ones who wanna tell you everything. They're the ones without a PR script or afraid to mess things up. Um, yeah, that's such good advice. I mean, people resonate with people like them, mm -hmm. right? So um, although the celebrity factor, I mean, we are a celebrity obsessed kind of culture, but oh, you know, everyone has a story to tell, do they not? And I exactly. agree with the philosophy. If, you, if it removes you, it probably will move someone else. How about you, Cynthia? How do you go about choosing your guests? And by the way, I love that you feature like young people on, on your podcasts and, and you know, voting rights and things like that. So very relevant topics too. So how do you go about choosing your guests and topics? Sure. So I started off um, kind of going in a circle of people I knew. So trying to get my, you know, parents, friends to come on, but basically everyone's like, no, nah, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like there's maybe a generational gap or maybe there's a, you know, unfamiliarity with a podcast um, but it was hard to get people from my parents generation on so I just have like you know one or two on today and personally um, had a cajole on <laughs> um, but I think it, it builds momentum over time and so there are some of my earlier guests um, are people I personally know some of them are people I you know joined a couple of Facebook groups and was like hey I'm going to start this new project um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it at the time but just I just wanted to hear Chinese um, and and so I guess like the quick contact to that is um, you know, I was previously engaged and some of the the falling out part of it was how I was too Asian or etc and I was thinking like in the future like I mean clearly yes I'm Asian but to like there are there are things that I would want to preserve um, you know from my culture from my past that I don't think was that um, I don't think I realized how important that was to me until that that sort of commentary came up. Um, and so I joined some Facebook groups to, um, you know, there's some Taiwanese Facebook groups on, you know, solopreneurship for um, like mama teaching, like moms teaching kids Chinese or whatever. And so I wanted to like, you know, see who I could drum up. And so some of those people joined. And I would say like more recently, there are people that are maybe like my friends, my parents, kids um, and they're the, some of the younger people from I guess technically they're Gen Z um, teaching me about like a Finsta and a Rinsta <laughs> um, that Tenchi I probably can't define perfectly because I was getting schooled over the weekend and I still <laughs> don't know the difference um, you know and from there it's snowball so then I have I have this I'm mostly on Instagram um, and that's something where I've also had to learn how to do I don't think I do it well but there are 
people who kind of send me messages through there and they're like, hey, I want to share my story or like, would you be interested in, um, you know, either doing a co collaboration or whatever? Because a lot of these folks are, um, I would say the ones I want to do collabs are typically kind of in the same life phase where they're trying to grow a creative business or a side hustle or, um, you know, something to enable them to leave the corporate world sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then the younger folks, I think, just have like an interesting energy um, about, you know, what a fifth grader is looking most forward to, you know, this is all before COVID. Um, and so I think it's like really important to have this platform, I think, for them to practice Chinese um, for them um, and then be curious to learn and, and, you know, things that's not just stuff that you read out of a textbook. I think it's some of the generational gaps, I think, um, that I personally experienced um, gets more, um, I don't know if I know the word, but like mel melded over time and, and, and it's less of like a difference and in, in more of um, an understanding. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there was another question you had asked that I wanted to answer, I forget. Oh, it's, I guess like just the community builds up and then, you know, people kind of either recommend people or that they, they, uh, they come volunteer to come on themselves. Um, and I don't really have a lot of celebrities on mine. I think probably the most, um, I guess like Boston politically, um, famous person I have is Michelle Wu um, from a couple months back and um, I, I would say the voting stuff from a couple months ago I think during the election I wanted to stay apolitical um, I wanted to stay just like pure personal storytelling but I <laughs> I felt this urge that I have this platform and there are um, opportunities I think to inform uh, people who may not be inclined to vote this is during the election, um, you know, just provide resources and provide why it's important as a U.S. citizen um, to take your part, uh, you know, in, in Yeah, in very voting. relevant, very relevant. And, and that's really important. I mean, I also invite guests based on what's sort of in the news health-wise, um, you know, as many of you may or may not know, I mean, diabetes runs um, very prevalently in the Asian community. And um, a lot of, um, more than half of the Asian Americans are either living um, with diabetes or they're, they're, they have symptoms and they don't, they're undiagnosed. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for, for me, it's, it's really about um, who may, you know, invites a combination of content experts, but also just women who are survivors of a particular health issue, or they have a story to tell, um, a resilient story to tell. But uh, in the Asian community, they say you have two degrees of separation, right? <laughs> so just it's word of mouth marketing a lot of Totally. And I think that just like going back on the voting thing, right? Because like, I think for, for a lot of uh, I don't know if this is more broadly across Asians or immigrants, but, you know, just kind of stay under the radar, be a good, um, be a good steward, be a good citizen, but don't, don't cause like political upheaval, don't get involved in politics, because there's a lot of like history behind that. And I think the more that I'm doing these interviews, the more I'm kind of understanding some of the history that, that was from the past that kind of informs like the thinking of now. Um, and yes, word of mouth, I think is very, very <laughs> heavily used in, in, in our community. Yeah, I think it's just important in general. I mean, don't you all agree? Just staying curious and open, right? And not to assume that um, a highly visible person is exactly the person you need for your podcast. Um, because that's where understanding your audience is so critical, right? What would benefit them? What would be a value? But I also would encourage for those um, on, on the Zoom meeting is never hesitate to approach someone you don't know. Um, because I think when you tap them, you invite them to tell their story. Some may be taken back, some may be willing or unwilling to share their story, but to offer them that opportunity is really a gift. And speaking of Audrey, like I think last time we talked about how to actually reach out to people you don't know or you admire. Yeah. Um, I would say the bar is never too high. Right. Yes. If you want to reach out to um, Obama, it could be pretty challenging. Right. There are many layers of uh, PR secretaries, people in charge of their schedule and all that. Um, but, you know, there's so many people in between where you are now and Obama that you can reach out to. And so just to know that a lot of people are active on social media. So that means, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and um, 
you know, you can also know that when they, you know, the worst is when they don't respond. So remember, follow up is key. If you are already crafted an email, make sure you don't just send it once and go boohoo, you know, send it, send a reminder once, maybe even two reminders. And when you do hear no, know that it's not right now, not yet. When I first contacted uh, Seth Godin, he said, oh, not right now. Thank you, Faye, not right now. And uh, when I went back to him a year later with more episodes on my show and offered him to be on my documentary um, and I said, I'm going to work with a distributor. And he said, yeah. And of course, it also means I have to drive all the way to where he <laughs> lives. And, you know, that was that was an interesting episode I'm going to get into right now. But oh, we'll uh, have to look that up. <laughs> I know. I'll see. I see some questions, too. Yeah, some questions. So um, there's a question about how you grow your audience or promote your show. So it's a marketing question. Um, either one. Cynthia, you can you can go first. I, I... Oh, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm like the most adept at this question. I think it's just been... Um, I just put it out there when I get comfortable with finally, you know, finalizing the edits or whatever. I put it out there. Um, I think there are, I'm actually pretty surprised, like despite the analytics not being great on, on Anchor, that the, it looks like, you know, I have 50% of my audience is in the U.S. Um, and most of them are in California where I, I lived in California for a year, but that was way before I did the podcast. So I think there's probably some word of mouth type of things over there. Um, I had been playing around with Instagram, so playing around with hashtags, um, and I think that, you know, it's picking up some steam. Um, TaiwaneseAmerican.org is this nonprofit um, based out of California, and they did um, a podcast compilation in, I think, 2019, um, and I have listed mine on there. It's all like Taiwanese-specific type businesses that had opened during 2019, which I feel very honored to just have been, been part of that. Um, and so... I don't know if that helps necessarily, uh, but because I am doing interview based, I think, you know, most of the guests generally share with their network when um, I, and so I think it kind of just rolls from there. I, I don't have a very dedicated um, plan, but hoping to learn <laughs> how to grow one it. One step at a time, one step at a time. Faye, do you yeah. have insights you can share? Oh, I have a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot to say about this matter. So uh, I think the one of the questions you have to ask yourself is, um, why am I starting the show? So the answer to that question is actually going to change and evolve over time. So how you did it in the first month, it's probably going to be different six months, 12 months from, the, from then. And uh, knowing that even though there are over a million shows right now, only about a quarter of them are active, meaning updated mm -hmm. on a monthly basis on every 30 days. So there are a lot of shows out there. Uh, they're dead, right? There are no new episodes. Uh, and some of them are by design. Some people release a book and say, I have a 10 episode limited series. I don't mean those ones. I mean the ones that are meant to continue, but didn't. So when you ask those questions, I, you know, on a regular basis, I would say at least, you know, twice, three times a year, you can change your strategy because if the strategy becomes, oh, I'm not just here to get listeners. I actually want to maybe build a business around this. Um, it's your business. It doesn't have to be someone else's business, right? Um, a couple of things to keep in mind that in order for people to discover your show, you have to know how to play the game, how to be searchable and findable. So the two things narrow down to the world's top two search engines, you know, world's top two, Google and YouTube. And we're kind of in a way, luckily we're all kind of English speakers here where English is a second or third language here. Um, and those two companies are in the United States, which I think most, most of us are based here. So, uh, the trivial path, number one, is make sure that you have a website for your show. It can literally be buying a domain name for $12 and slap your show on there. And it's even better if you have show notes, which means you have a dedicated blog post for each and every one of your episode. Um, I want to dive in a little bit deeper there. Back then, years ago, I had show notes, which means I had to listen to the whole thing, providing timestamps so people can jump around. Was it super effective? Not always. The popular episodes, people appreciate it. But if people are not interested in the episodes to begin with, they don't care at a 15 minute mark. And I talk about certain questions, right? So, um, so there's that. These days, getting transcripts is so helpful. Um, you can get free transcripts up to 600 minutes from otter.ai. And I will type into <laughs> real quick. That's good. Um, I, I've never heard of that. Yeah. For transcription service, there are also sonics.ai, they're happy scribe. So there are a lot of transcription services. 
Um, so there's that. I'll pause there. But then on the YouTube side, a lot of podcasters are not on YouTube, which we also talked about during our kickoff meeting. Uh, that is a great place to be, even if you only have a audio show. I encourage everyone to record videos right now because of the pandemic for the first time ever, people are comfortable on video, but record your videos, even if you are not going to use it uh, and only use audio only, you can still upload your audio files to YouTube. And there's something called repurpose.io that allows you to do that with a single click. Um, so that is going to .io, I'll drop that. Those are not even affiliate links. Um, I interview the CEO, great people, uh, great companies. The reason why I say that is podcast is still very rudimentary when it comes to SEO marketing. You cannot rely on your close family and friends much beyond the first six months to a year. You need to find a way to help more people discover the show, hence social media like Instagram. But you basically have to think about different things. Again, not necessarily you do yourself, maybe with a content manager or a virtual assistant to help you broadcast. Your job should be focused on content creation and have other people to do rep, you know, re repeated work as much as possible. And is that, is that, um, I mean, that's really fascinating because that's where I am as well, but, um, is that contracted, you know, are there subcontractors who do that work or you have to go with a company and hire them? You, yes, you can go with a company. These days, there are a lot of companies on Google. Uh, they're, I think they call themselves as podcasting full services. So which means your only job is to record the audio and they take care of everything else. Of course, there are different tiers. If they only do editing, maybe they charge 200. If they do editing and promotion and, you know, SEO research and may charge upwards of, I don't know, $800,000. So, um, but if you are, if your budget is limited, you know, and there's something separate for social media, again, go to upwork.com. You can write out what you need help with, which is a lot of what we talk about during this meeting today and you just start there right yeah. and and assess sometimes that means you have to come down and be like uh how much is it thousand dollars okay i only have 500. now you know you can balance out like okay now i probably need to write the show notes but maybe the virtual assistant can help me with social media i saw social media i say social media all the time because i don't i don't love doing things on social media in general um things like producing an audiogram or videogram if you know what that is you i think you've all seen it right one image and there's like all the wave and um picking yeah. out sound bites. I can go back to episode four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So those are yeah. um Yeah, wow, what a wealth of information. I think that's something that I'm taking notes. I don't know about you, Cynthia, but, but we're definitely in Oh yeah, definitely. Things. So um I'm happy to send these links afterward as well. It's not fair for people to like, yeah, I, I will send a pile of links over. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, I think if other people have questions um in the time remaining, because of course I knew this hour would go by in a flash. But um, if there are additional questions you have, please drop them in the chat box. I did see one from Fung about um, whether it's a trend when you share your own story in a podcast first, or whether it's a trend when you share your own story in a podcast first, then interview others. Cynthia? Um, I think it definitely varies from podcast to podcast. For myself, I feel I just dove right in um, with interviews. Um, Me too. And eventually I'm going to maybe share something about mine. Yeah, I think it's really up to the, the person. Uh, the podcaster. <laughs> I think uh, Audrey was a question about like, when do you share your own story versus your guest's story? Yeah, yeah. or whether you start with your own story. Um, I think it's really helpful, especially, uh, you know, I, I think in episode 152 or some ridiculous number, that's when I said, hey, this is Faye and it's my story. And Spotify recognize 100 episode 152 and push it as my uh, trailer for the show. So it's a great idea to you know, you're someone who started not with episode zero to share your story, share your why. It's also okay to do that after. Um, I think it's really important to share our own stories because at the end of the day, people want to relate to you. And people are here, not just because Cynthia and me, people are here for Audrey. People are here for people who are sitting here, you know, um, making this happen, making this a reality. So never underestimate your power in that conversation. Thank you. I'll work on that. <laughs> Okay. Um, you are so eloquent. <laughs> I guess I'll be um, just in closing. I'd like to just take a moment to maybe 
bust any myths or misconceptions out there about podcasting. We haven't talked about monetizing. And I think that is a, a myth because people, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I didn't enter podcasting to make money. <laughs> Although now it's, you know, obviously, Faye, you're a living example of that being a possibility. But you, this is your like full-time full -time gig now, multifaceted, of course. Um, so, I mean, what other misconceptions? I mean, is it realistic for people who want to start a podcast and make money? I can jump in and Cynthia, please add to it and Andrea as well. Uh, I also did not start my show trying to make money. I just needed a, a spiritual outlet, working corporate and feeling really drowned by it, really burnt out. Um, but what I have learned in recent years, I'll, I'll say what is probably not very realistic. If you start a show trying to count the downloads, meaning trying to build up to your monthly 50, 100,000 downloads per month so that there are other sponsors can approach you, uh, that is not very realistic. Uh, to flip that model around is actually a lot better to think about uh, the potential sponsors that might be good for your show. Like, um, for example, I think for both Audrey and Cynthia's show, there's a, it's very niche, very focused, which is great mm -hmm. for, for not just Asian people, Asian immigrants, but Asian women, even Asian women from within a certain cohort, uh, right? So you can actually approach a lot of the businesses uh, and let them know that, hey, you know, this is where I can share your story because there are a lot of businesses also are targeting specifically your audience, your listeners. And um, that's something that um, definitely worth paying attention to. Same thing for my YouTube channel. Uh, you know, my YouTube ad revenue fluctuate all the time, anywhere between 500 to 2,500 just from ads alone every month. If I were to rely on that, you know, living in Boston would be very challenging. Instead, I proactively reach out to sponsors who will be a good fit for me. So um, I can drop a link just for people to see why you should build a page upfront, uh, you know, not wait for the moment when somebody approaches you, you want to start practicing, accepting no's, and then figure out a model that can work for you. So I'll drop the link into what my sponsorship page looks like. And you can use it as a template and there are a bunch of other yes. uh, ones as well. That could be very helpful. Thank you so much. Well, almost, we're almost at time. So I just want to ask each of you with um, just a closing thought, if you were to give um, any of our viewers a piece of advice around podcasting, what would it be? Cynthia? I'd say if you have an inkling to want to try it, do it. Because um, I think the first step is the hardest. Getting the first episode out, I think, is definitely the hardest for me. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think I would just say just do it. There are a lot of expectations that come that you have to like figure out for yourself, like where you, um, where you stand on. Um, but it's, I think it's for me, it's been one of the most valuable things I've gotten out of it is the community of people that I've been able to meet that I wouldn't have otherwise met, um, you know, physically in terms of like physical distance, but in, also in terms of like type of organization. Um, and so with that, I would also like to thank Chen Chi because she and I met at a storytelling workshop um, a couple months after I had started a podcast and um, yeah, I think it's just like a great way to meet other creatives. Absolutely. Thank you. Faye? I completely agree with uh, everything Cynthia said. I wouldn't have this community I do today, and a lot of them are even clients. Uh, so the one thing I want, I really want to say is you are allowed to change your mind. So please don't don't dwell on uh, the cover art design and the best mm -hmm. you know, service that you should sign up for. Just start, give yourself a timeline, start. You're allowed to change the cover, change your story, start a new show altogether. When you realize that, you feel a lot more liberated and you're going to create the best stories you can. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm in total agreement with all of that. And I just say, just do you, <laughs> you know, stay your authentic self and find your own voice and and then give back, you know, that, that really makes the, the best of, of podcasting. Well, this has been just an amazing hour. I know um, we shared so much information <laughs> with everyone, including a lot of the links. Um, this recording will be available on the Asia Women for Health podcast um, webpage and also on the organizational website. And we thank all of you for attending today. And we thank Cynthia and Faye for sharing their brilliance and their insights. 
Um, I hope that um, for those of you who are thinking of launching a podcast, even though there are millions of podcasts out there, there's definitely a place and a need to hear voices like yours. So um, I guess the only other item is please feel free to submit a survey on today's session and we hope that you'll tune back in to future Lunch and Learns. Thank you so much. Thank you, Audrey. Thank you, Bay. Thank you. Thank you guys for making this happen. Thank, Thank you. you. And that's it for today. Please send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A or shoot me an email. It's hello at TaiwaneseDiaspora.com. And if you or other people you know have stories that they'd like to share on this podcast, please send them my way as well. Some of you have asked about how to support the show. So if you are inclined, go to coffee ko-fi.com slash t-w-d-i-a-s-p-o-r-a to donate and if you like to read check out my book recommendations at bookshop.org slash shop slash t-w-d-i-a-s-p-o-r-a and 10% of the proceeds will come back to support the show all right see you next time